Hi, all. You're listening to In Other Words, a podcast where we explore what it takes to talk to kids about the things that matter. I'm Amelia Richardson-Dress, a pastor serving UCC Longmont and a writer interested in spirituality, justice issues, education, and parenting, and especially the rich places where those things intersect. This is week seven of an eight-week podcast series where I'm interviewing experts about some of the hard things in modern parenting. On today's episode, I'm talking with Lena Hilder McCain, a counselor at Interfaith Bridge Counseling in Denver, where she specializes in working with teens. Lena has a rich faith background herself and a wealth of knowledge from years spent in youth ministry. In this interview, though, I'm talking with her specifically about helping kids in the aftermath of a school lockdown. You'll hear us reference a blog post that she wrote on the topic after a threat at a local school. And you can find that at interfaithbridge.com, but I will also link to it on my blog at ucclongmont.org. Just go to the Faith and Families link and then down to the blog. It's an article well worth reading. Another quick note, Lena and I recorded this interview in a spare moment at the Congregation's Live Conference in February, and the conversation was rich and her information is super helpful, but you will hear the faint echoes of behind-the-scenes noises, um, and the sound quality is just not quite as good. It is worth putting up with, and I hope that this information is helpful. It's it's interesting to me that the the drills themselves, or or the lockdowns. Um, I mean, a lockdown can be you know a drill can be had for just as a drill, and the lockdown sometimes happens for a reason. But you don't know which. But you don't know which is going on. Right. And so, the thing that we've experienced um, in my family with my daughter is is the drills themselves mm-hmm. are triggering a lot of anxiety. Yeah. And so it was interesting to me as I was reading your post about just that anxiety coming up. And it sounds, I mean, you work with kids. So yeah. is that a broad scale thing that you're seeing, coping with anxiety around lockdowns or mm-hmm. drills? Yeah. The short answer is yes, um, absolutely. And, and the longer answer is um, there was... A lockdown at a school um, a couple of months back mm-hmm. and I have a lot of clients at that school in particular okay. and it was about 11 a.m. and I got an influx of text messages um, from my clients which is normal in some ways of them checking in if they feel anxious or something but the fact that each and everyone texted me about them being in this lockdown I was like cool something's going on here and there's no training out there right when you get an influx of text messages from teens being like I'm in a lockdown I don't know if it's a drill or what like I'm feeling really nervous everything we've learned together in therapy is not helping me what do I do yeah. right there's no training to help you through a text message and that and so I started to think well okay so if they're feeling anxious and everything we've learned together is not working why is that and so that's where we started our conversation. And a large part of it is is the unknown. Like, I don't know if this is real or not. I don't know if this is the last time that I'm going to be alive. And I also know what it was like last time when it was a drill and how shitty I felt after. How sucky. It's okay. Okay. How crappy <laughs> I felt, feel afterwards. Sometimes I cuss. It's a habit of breaking my too. It's okay. <laughs> um, but that's real, right? How crappy I feel afterwards. And what do I know about that? And and the trick with that piece is if we're looking at it on a neurological level, your brain doesn't know the difference between reality and memory. So if you go into a lockdown 
your brain is just going to automatically go from a prior experience and it's going to dysregulate itself and then it's going to try and take care of itself. But how do you take care of yourself if you know what it was like before and you're questioning what's happening now, what happened last time, and what could happen mm-hmm. all at once? And we don't teach those things. Right. And things like taking a deep breath, they don't work in those moments because you're trying to survive, but you don't know what you're surviving, yeah. if that makes sense. Uh-huh. That does make sense. So in that moment, what advice is there for kids? Yeah. That's a great question. What advice is there for kids? There's a lot. So in the moment, so if you're in a lockdown, the first piece is if a teen reaches out to you or even a kid, right? They have their cell phone and they reach out to you. The first is, are you physically safe? That's the number one piece because um, a lot of times I'll have, like in that specific example that I shared, um, three of them were locked outside outside of a classroom oh my gosh. and they were by themselves and then um two more of them were in a classroom with other teens but no adults so do they remember their protocol do they know how to be physically safe in this cool if you don't know here's here's some resources right and and i share that in my blog post right like yeah. take a picture of this and keep it so you know um and after the physical safety it's going to okay let's like, let's take a couple of breaths, even though it doesn't really work when you're feeling anxious. Let's take a couple of them because I'm going to ask you some questions. So they take their breaths, and then the questions are, what are you thinking about? What are you worried about? And how are you feeling? And what are you noticing about yourself? And oftentimes, the responses are around, I'm feeling worried, I'm feeling scared, I'm feeling confused, and I'm feeling angry. Sometimes is one that really comes in. So we know those pieces. I usually then go into, are you feeling any kind of sadness? Hmm. And then they can go, yeah, sometimes, or maybe no, not yet. Um, and then the next question is, so in all of that, what is that related to? What are you thinking about? And that often is tied to, are my friends okay? Am I going to be okay? What do I say to my loved ones? Like, can I reach out to them? Um, and what do I do if they come in here? Yeah, And so then I usually switch gears and don't focus so much on what are they going to do if they come in here, but I focus into, okay, list off who it is that you would want to talk to right now. Who are they? And they list them out. And then, great, so what is it you would want them to know? And often it's that, like, I love you and I'm in this situation. And then providing them the template of how do you say that in a like succinct way and send it out, like, let's do it, because that's what you're worried about. That's Mm -hmm. what you're scared about, because what if this is the last time? And that's where the anxiety comes from, because they know. They've seen it with Parkland. They've seen it, you know, with Sandy Hook. They've seen it here in Colorado. If they weren't alive for Columbine, they know it was there. It's a huge part of our trauma history in Colorado, and it's been passed down to us. And so when we look at that, they know what a possible outcome could be. Yeah. And that's there. Their brain's aware of it. So how do we t- get them to do the things that they actually want to do versus taking a deep breath and trying to calm down because that's not going to help. Right. And then once they say that, that puts them in connection with the people that they care about, their community, right? And then that they can start the conversation. And it isn't to take away, right? We're not trying to take away the anxiety, but what we are trying to do is give a space for it to exist. 
Mm-hmm. Because anxiety isn't just going to go away. The fear and the sadness isn't going to go away, but it needs to be expressed. Otherwise, if it is just a drill of the aftermath, you won't be able to hold it. You'll yeah. then become exhausted and stressed out, and it'll just repeat itself until it gets overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering about the fatigue of that. So I don't, I don't know if it's the same for teens, but in, at the elementary school level, they have multiple drills a month between, mm-hmm. you know, a fire drill and then there's lockdown drills and there's lockout drills. And I, I mean, I've even lost track. I just, I know there's two or three mm-hmm. a month. And so um, when kids have a real lockdown situation and then they know that was a real lockdown situation, um, it seems like it would really be hard to make the space to handle a drill Mm. the next month, you know, because you're either taken right back to all of the the trauma Mm -hmm. from being terrified during the lockdown, or you're trying to brush it off. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I I shouldn't worry. This is just a drill. And so I'm just curious about if there's a fatigue level that ever kicks in mm-hmm. with all these things. Absolutely. And that is where, that is how anxiety becomes itself, right? Okay. Because there's this circle, right? So it's like, it goes from that fatigue, that exhaustion, to stress, to anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it just circles itself. So if we don't make space for it, it never c- gets reset. And that's one of the biggest things. So in doing this work and talking to teens and doing this workshop on how to manage that anxiety, one of the questions I ask is, what isn't working and how your school or community is handling your lockdowns in the aftermath? And 100%, it's there's no closure. Mm -hmm. And that's the piece, right? It's not that they want information about what happened, like, sure, that's good. They like some information and they understand they can't have all the details. But then it's really in the aftermath piece, in the few days to follow. What closure is there? Why aren't we taking the time, 10 minutes in the morning, to practice a distraction technique or a grounding technique to help me figure out how to operate through the day? Why isn't there more counselors available? Why aren't you reaching out to organizations that offer pro bono counselors to come in and talk to us? Why aren't we having an assembly on how to share and process? Why are you adding, like, three days later, this is our safe corner if a shooter comes in? Yeah. Because that's too much for me when we haven't closed down. It's that lack of closure and support. And 100% that's what every teenager tells me. I'm sort of of torn between thinking um, that's encouraging in a way because... Those of us who are supporting teens can help figure out ways to offer that co- closure. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a, I don't mean simple, it's not easy, but it's not expensive. Right. <laughs> it's, um, it takes some time and some intention. But it, that's, that also kills me that they're not getting that. Yeah. When they're dealing with something, what you're describing is teens handling end of life questions. Yeah. And then not getting support around that. Right. And, and we give support to people in the hospital when they're facing an end-of-life question mm-hmm. or, you know, emergency services. Um, 
and then we give closure afterwards. Mm-hmm. But we're not offering that to our kids. Right, because for all intents and purposes, they're thriving, right? The next day, they are still moving yes. and operating. They're going, through, they're going through the routine, but we're not slowing down and really looking and seeing, okay, well, just because you can do your schoolwork doesn't mean that you're sleeping well. Yeah. Right, or that you aren't thinking about it. And, right, the other piece to this is that it's not also just drills and lockdowns and it happening in your school or wherever it may be happening at, right? It's also on social media, right? And I'm a big proponent of technology. I never tell my teens to not bring in their phones and things like that. Like, I use video games in my sessions half the time. I'm a real big supporter of using technology and social media. But when you experience something like a park, like the Parkland shooting, how quickly did it spread? And when it spread, everything, right, back to on that neurological level, your brain can't tell the difference between it being real or something you're reading. It now feels like it's in there. It's going to start producing those thoughts. And then if we're looking at it on a real-time, real-life level, on a conscious level, you don't even know what's happening as you're reading it. And you're going, wow, why am I having a hard time sleeping? Why am I suddenly more stressed out, right? Mm -hmm. And chances are it's because you've now read all this information. And if you've experienced a lockdown and had that experience, like that anxiety, now it's being re-traumatized or brought back to the surface. And you're not having any closure because your school maybe didn't do anything about it. Or your family didn't, right? Because we didn't know that you read it on your Twitter account. And so then how do we implement boundaries? And most teens don't even know that they can mute things on their social media or that it's happening enough to just needing to do that. Yeah. There was something about the way you gave that advice in your post, you know, that was like, this is, here's how it works on Instagram. (laughs) Here's how it works on Facebook. And it wasn't the, the sort of standard advice around... Turn off your phone. Sure. <laughs> which, which I can't even do. Right. You can't so, ask a teen to do right. that. <laughs> Preposterous. Right. So it was just, it, it was really, um, I just, I thought it entered into that space where they're at, mm-hmm. but also recognize they may not know. Like, right. legitimately, you may not know. Right. And it doesn't make you a bad person for doing to it. Do it. Like, I think for me, that's the biggest piece when... Maybe not in lockdowns, in particular school shootings, but when I'm looking at the news and politics, right, there are things um, that I really care about and I'm passionate about for human rights. And constantly having it on my feet is really intense and brings me a lot of anxiety and stress, stress and sadness. And then I find myself having a hard time moving through the day. And it doesn't make me a bad person for muting Mm-hmm. and then checking in once a month or having conversations face-to-face about it. But I can feel that guilt. It feels it because that's shamed. That's part of our society. We shame people for putting those filters on because if you're not in the know, you're choosing to not actively participate and make a difference. Mm-hmm. And with shame, the feeling of guilt is quick to follow. It's its best friend. Yeah, And that's not fair to put on people, particularly teens, around something like lockdowns and shootings. It's just not fair. No, it's not. And it's not fair to characterize setting a boundary as being a lack of compassion. Right. When, when you're, you're protecting your ability to engage mm-hmm. by doing that, um, I mean, by setting a boundary, you are. 
Right. So, yeah, separating those things in terms of you're not a bad person if you just need to filter out everybody's comments. <laughs> right. If you just need to turn off this word, right. you know, for the day or this hashtag or even on Snapchat, I'm just going to silence these people so they don't know for a little bit. Yeah. And then you can make up whatever excuse you want if they ask why you, have, like, you saw it, right? Right. That's okay. Like, sure, we don't want to encourage lying, but also your mental health is really important in these times. So yeah. let's put these boundaries in place. And then maybe at some point you'll be able to talk about it and share it with other teens, your peers. Mm -hmm. And then we have a domino effect. You talked about the brain and how it functions in those things. And you had that beautiful example of the fist. Mm -hmm. And tell me a little bit about yeah. that and, and how that's helpful for kids. So that's Dr. Dan Siegel, Siegel, who is mostly known for it. And he is phenomenal. I really love, um, he's of the No Drama Discipline is one of his really big books. And so what he talks about with the brain is really how does the brain function, right? And it's a survival technique. So when we make ourselves, our hands into a fist and we put this thumb under our fingers, right? Our um, wrist and our forearm represent our like spinal cord, right? Mm -hmm. And our brain stem. Um, and then the fist itself represents the brain. Now, when we are calm, cool, and collected and everything's jiving for us, like we are being logical, our fingers are over our thumb. Our brain is able to make choices, rational decisions. It's able to speak about where we're at. But as soon as our nervous system gets dysregulated, and that can be anything. It can be as extreme as a school lockdown or shooting, and it could be as simple as the water not warming up quick enough, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, it flips its lid, so to speak. And so in his example of the fist, your fingers fly up, and it exposes your prefrontal cortex, right? And now we're looking at, okay, well, I can't make rational decisions because everything that that prefrontal cortex is collecting, right, the midbrain's now exposed, there's nothing there to help it figure out what to do. And so, and that's a survival mechanism. That originally came around for from prehistoric times. We hear the rustle of the leaves and our brain goes, okay, I just take care of myself. What if that's an animal, right? Yeah. Well, our society doesn't really have to worry about that anymore. What it does have to worry about is... Is there a stress that's going to come that'll impact my ability to do my schoolwork or my actual work at work, mm -hmm. right? That's what we're worried about now. And so with our brain, the goal is then to kind of put that flipped lid back down over the midbrain. And it's hard to do that. First, you have to know where, what am I feeling, right? So a regulated nervous system, once again, is that calm, cool, collected. When it gets dysregulated, we go into hyperarousal or hypoarousal. Hyperarousal is really where like fight or flight is, and that's what most people um, are knowledge with, they know about, right? And so for me, I'm a fighter, right? Mm -hmm. I tend to fight, everyone can go on into any of the categories, but so if I get dysregulated, I'm gonna get louder, um, I'm gonna get bigger, I'm gonna be more aggressive. Some people go to flight, they just like disappear, right? They isolate themselves, they don't wanna engage with the community. Um, and you know that that's happening because in those two categories in hyperarousal, because you'll start to get warmer, you'll start to feel jittery, you can't think clearly, right? Um, I like to think of the movie Inside Out where there's anger, right? All the things he exhibits is fists, he feels tightened, he gets different colors, right? That is hyperarousal. On the flip side, there's hypoarousal, and that is sleep or freeze. So, I always use the example of my best friend. So if I'm a fighter, 
right? And we get in a disagreement. I'm going to be more like, well, why do you think that way? What is this? Like, we need to solve this, da-da-da. But he goes into hypo-arousal, and he sleeps. So he completely disengages. He's like, okay, yep, uh-huh. <laughs> so then if we're both sitting there together, like, neither of our needs are being met, yeah. um, and then we're just going to keep spiraling and continue to dysregulate. The other thing about hypo-arousal is that you, um, you'll feel really lethargic. That's more of like the nervous or introverted feelings come out. You might start to feel really cold, right? So all these things are happening. Our brain has the capacity to do all four of these, fight, flight, freeze, or sleep. And we all have a tendency to lean towards one. But in times of high stress or intensity, you can't always predict which one we're going to do. Mm -hmm. So in like a school lockdown, for example, um, if I'm a fighter, at this point I might freeze because I don't know what to do next. The anxiety has completely taken over my system and dysregulated. So what are activities that I'm going to use? Things I've used before, like taking a lap around the school aren't going to work because I have to stay here. And so it's then becoming really knowledgeable of what are different things you can do based on what you're identifying your dysregulation is happening in, um, when your lid is flipped, so to speak. And it can be as simple as like drinking some water and taking a deep breath turning off the lights if you're in hyperarousal or turning them on if you're in hypoarousal, um, listening to music, sometimes clenching your hands or making fists or even just touching your pants, right? They all have a different way in which they're going to, going to interact when your lid is flipped and your midbrain is really taking over. It's helpful. It's helpful to have those frameworks, I think. You mentioned... Something about two paths to self-care mm -hmm. in that post. Yeah. And I was trying to look it up, but I can't find it fast <laughs> enough. So will you sure. <laughs> remind me about those? So self-care, I like to think of as two branches. So there's the umbrella, and then two branches come off. And self-care in and of itself is your ability or your capacity or capability to um, handle what life throws at you, given your current experience and the resources made available to you, right? And your oppression. So your oppression's experience and um, resources made available to you. Those all tie in. Once you understand that, it breaks off. And there is what I call self-comfort and self-management. Self-comfort is the really popular version, and it is often whitewashed. So it's like getting massages, getting your nails did, getting a haircut, um, eating your favorite ice cream, taking a bubble bath, right? meditating, all self-comfort. It also looks like hanging out with your dogs or hanging out with friends, um, playing video games, all that good stuff. And that's the popular one. Mm -hmm. However, the other branch is self-management. That looks like making task lists and completing your work. It looks like checking in and stating how you're feeling. It's putting boundaries in place. It's eating healthy. It's um, getting an adequate sleep, right? And so they need to work together. They have to intertwine with one another for you to um, really get the full, the full self-care for yourself. Um, and it also, they have to intertwine in order to regulate your system, hmm. right? So all self-care is, is really techniques to how to regulate your nervous system and calm your brain down. But if you don't have an idea of which one you need versus what you want, you're not going to be able to do it, right? Like, I always want to take a bubble bath versus right. doing my task <laughs> list. Like, 100%, that is always what I want to do. Um, 
But that isn't realistic because if I'm feeling stressed out about my school assignments, a bubble bath isn't going to help me. Yeah. An ice cream treat isn't going to help me. Doing one of my school assignments or at least doing a part or a step in that school assignment is going to help me. Mm-hmm. There can be almost a guilt then around self-care. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm feeling stressed because I'm not taking care of myself and adding the guilt to the stress, mm-hmm. that's not helpful either. We, we go through stressful periods. We go through seasons of stress. Right. And sometimes taking a drink of water <laughs> or trying for a longer sleep Mm-hmm. Is is the best we can do at that time. Yeah, and, and then, but by doing that and doing that well, we make the space to kind of recover from it. Right. I like to use the phrase "this or something better." Huh. If this is all I can do, awesome. This or something better, and there's no because there's no guilt in that, right? Like yeah. And guilt is so like oh, guilt yeah. is the big emotion that everyone can relate on. Um, well, and in some places they say guilt isn't the emotion, shame's the emotion, and guilt's just your response to it or reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's the case, like, that feels awful. Yeah. Like, that's the stress we're trying to avoid. Because stress is a good thing. It is how we know how to move forward. It's a motivator. It's how we get to our points of success and milestones. But there is a point when stress is no longer healthy, and that's usually when guilt and shame insert itself with it and then it just builds on top of each other what about um for parents Mm -hmm. so parents who are helping kids you know are kind of dealing in the aftermath of a lockdown how much checking in is helpful or or what are the things we check in about yeah those are great questions so the first piece is that your teen um, or your kiddo uh, is their own person so there's not one size fits all right so checking in and seeing if they want to talk about it because sometimes they really don't want to talk about it because it'll re-trigger everything Mm -hmm. and respect that you know and let them know that you're here to talk if they want or you're here to be a resource to help them find the people if you're not the person and that can be really hard to swallow as a parent that you are not the person they want to talk about it with or process it with Mm -hmm. but that's the first place that we start if they do want to talk about it or they do want you to help them find someone to talk about it. The next piece is just checking in and asking, well, how are you feeling? Like mentally, physically, emotionally? They might not have an answer, and they might have an answer. If they don't have an answer, the next part is to maybe share where you're at. Like, yeah, I know it's probably really different because I wasn't there, but when I found out, like, my first thought was like, wow, I'm really worried for you because I love you. and. I felt kind of sick to my stomach, felt really warm, and couldn't focus on anything. Um, And all these images of you and me went through my mind, right? And just sharing that can be the piece that opens it up for them. Because they often don't want to talk about it with you because they don't think you can relate. But if you can share where you were at and using those I statements, boom, now they know how to connect with you. And sometimes it might also look like them joking about it. And that can be really hard because it is so serious. Mm-hmm. But joking about it is a really helpful way. And this is a really delicate piece because right now we're in a time in society where mindfulness is really huge. Bringing awareness to things is really important and we think it's super healthy. And it can be. But in these high intense situations or um, traumatic events, mindfulness and awareness 
is one of the worst things we can do because then we're just gonna re-trigger everything. So we actually wanna provide grounding or distraction. So it might be offering them up an opportunity to stay at home and watch a movie or having their friends over for a slumber party or not putting the pressure on them to complete their assignment. It's okay if you don't do well on this assignment this time. It's okay, I support you in that. Like giving them those opportunities to distract themselves or ground themselves so that they're not actually being aware of it all the time, I think is one of the biggest things parents can do. That's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And and like you said, that it, well, and it goes right back to what you said about the, the two paths, mm-hmm. you know, that, that you are doing a balance between, is this a time where what you need is to check out and yeah. and not worry yeah. <laughs> about, you know, completing your task list. Right. Or is it? Or is it a time <laughs> when this is what would be most helpful? Yeah. Would it be helpful to go and volunteer somewhere? Right. So that you don't have to think about this and worry about hanging out with your friends and checking your social media. Would you like to help me with this house project? Yeah. Right? Like checking in and seeing and letting them change their mind too. Right. Like that's the big piece of it. Yeah. That's super helpful. Mm-hmm. Lena, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and have this conversation. And thanks to everyone for listening. I hope that it was helpful information for you. If you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to get in touch. My contact information can be found at ucclongmont.org. And as always, I'll turn a link to a few of the resources that we mentioned, including Lena's blog post on the Faith and Families link at ucclongmont.org. Until next time.